As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to Power Hour, the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. And this week, Chris Vanini from The Athletic, our friend and colleague, is back on the show. Chris, welcome back. Good to be here, Nicole. It's been a few weeks. I'm excited to be back on the Power Hour. Yes, and we this is the pod where we talk about the biggest stories in college sports in an hour or less. And I will say, Chris, one thing I've been impressed with you and your like development since the last podcast appearance is that you have a home office now. I'm looking at the Zoom. You have a desk chair. You have a ceiling fan. You have an actual office space. And I feel like this needs to be celebrated. I feel like after 14 months of a pandemic, you've finally grown up. Yes, it doesn't. Uh, describing this doesn't really work in an audio format, but... Eventually, I got kind of sick of doing podcasts in the living room of the house where people and dogs were coming in and out. So I was able to rearrange one of the back rooms, get some better uh, soundproof stuff, and set everything up. And I am happy to be coming uh, coming from this office on this podcast. Well, I mean, I think when you have 11 dogs in your household, having any space for yourself is, is nice. Do you have 11 currently in the house? Yes, although that will be going down pretty soon. Uh, for those who don't know, my wife is a dog trainer. We own a number of dogs. We also babysit slash train a couple of dogs. Uh, so that is that is the reason for the high number. Well, at some point, we will have to do, inspired by Andy, who will be back on this feed with Ari in just a short time, we will have to do like a random ranking of your dogs. Oof, oof. That's going to be tough. <laughs> I think some will be upset if they hear that. Uh, but they'll have to deal with it. I think we will have to do that at some point. This is a long off season ahead, but we're going to talk today about a couple of things, but I think we want to start with NIL, which is name, image, and likeness. I think the acronym has become very well known among college sports fans. And it's back in the news really because we are less than two months away from Florida and Georgia and Mississippi and New Mexico and... What state am I forgetting? Alabama, maybe? I, I All think that's right. These states that are about to allow athletes to cash in on their names, images, and likenesses, they are going to be allowed to do 
sponsored Instagram posts and endorsement deals and anything like that. Yet, we're still talking about 40-something states that do not have state laws that are set to take effect, that right now, as of May 10th, it would be against NCAA rules. They would not have eligibility if they did something like this. So, Chris, where does the NIL developments stand at the time? And when we were in Phoenix last week talking to commissioners and athletic directors, why were they so concerned about, again, kind of those 40-something states that have no law coming? Yeah, the clock is ticking. I mean, we've, we've known about this July 1st date for a while, and yet we're getting closer and closer to it with no real end in sight. It seems unlikely that uh, Congress will create a national law by then. I know that's what a lot of um, people at the NCAA hope, but in talking with ADs and people like we did, they seem pretty skeptical it's going to happen. So what happens on July 1st? Does the NCAA just let everybody do this? Does the NCAA grant waivers? Do they sue the states over this stuff? It's it's um, it's really up in the air, and Mark Emmert's recent comments to the New York Times, I think, uh, kind of paint how desperate of a picture this is. Yeah, I think that's what really got a lot of eyes opened to this. This was over this past weekend. He basically said, like, we're going to pass NCAA legislation about NIL, and that it's the proposal that has been sitting collecting dust since January. And just a refresher, again, I know we're in the weeds, but this is how the sport and all of college sports actually are going to change. So it's important. It's but, one of the biggest it's the, it's one of the biggest things in college sports right now, probably yes. the biggest. And I think being in the weeds actually helps understand it. Um because I think that a lot of people still think this is just about the quarterback at Alabama. And it's not. So what happened was there were parallel tracks happening. You had bills being proposed in Congress, which obviously would turn into laws. And then you had the NCAA working on its own legislation, which obviously is not a law, but is how you determine if you're eligible. So in January, when the NCAA convention was happening and the Division I Council was supposed to approve this, it was supposed to be this big monumental thing, college sports, they got a threatening letter from the Department of Justice saying like, hey, we have some antitrust concerns about what you're proposing and all these restrictions you're adding around what athletes can and can't do. So they tabled it. This is also when they tabled the transfer rule, which then did get approved, as we know, in recent weeks. So that legislation has just been sitting there. And that's what will allow the NCAA to say, look at us. We are allowing our athletes to make money off of their name, their, um, you know, that they can sell like a sponsored protein or something on Instagram. They can sign autographs for money. Like, we're allowing this to happen. And they haven't gotten to do that little victory lap of, like, how progressive they are, which, again, this is because they got back into a corner. But that's what we're talking about, the NCAA rules changing. And that's what they can do. And that's what Mark Emmert is saying they can do, is change it before the state's laws take effect so that all 50 states have the ability for their athletes in that state to make money off of endorsements. And so... The reason this is important is because right now you could have, let's say this number eventually gets to like seven or eight states. Those states could say, hey, transfers, come play for us right now because you're going to be able to cash in this fall. And it would be very unfair to everyone else. So that's why the assumption, the working assumption is that they're going to have to do this this summer so that when everyone enrolls in school in August, there's like some baseline 
levels of ability to do endorsements, do sponsorships. And that's really what has to happen. Because like you said, Chris, if there's not a federal bill passed, if there's not a federal law to take effect on July 1st, there's no other way to make this seem a little bit fair. Right. The problem is that state laws, NCAA laws are not state laws. And state laws are, are a lot of these state laws that are out there are uh, more open than presumably what the NCAA would pass. And so that still creates that problem. It's really a signal that they're trying to get something done. Hey, Congress, we're moving on this. Can you give us that antitrust exemption here? Uh, because we're running up against a clock. So, yeah, your Georgias, your Alabamas, your your Floridas, the, the ones that are in those states are going to, they're, they're already, you know they are, talking to recruits, talking to transfers, saying, hey, we're going to have this on July 1st. I mean, last week, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, the state of Florida initially passed an amendment to push its start date to July 2022. And the coaches in the state freaked out. Gus Malzahn tweeted about it. Mike Norvell tweeted about it because they knew that this was an advantage that was about to go away. The very next day, Florida legislature reverses course and keeps it at 2021. So the coaches are 100% aware of this. They are pitching this. Every top college football player you know is being uh, talked to about this from various coaches. Can you believe if we had said 10 years ago, hey, the Miami and Florida State head coaches are going to tweet at their Congress people, like at their state representatives, about a bill that would allow their athletes to make money while in college. Like, it's so we're, we're, wild. We're, we're, we're sticking to sports here, too, by the yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> but, like, imagine saying that to people five years ago, ten years ago, that, I, that A, the coaches would be pushing on that side of it, and B, that they would be, like, that – involved in politics. I mean, that's kind of one of the craziest parts about all of this is that the NCAA has spent so much money lobbying Congress so much. to fix this for them because they don't want 50 different laws. And it's kind of crazy to think about that when you think about the NCAA and asking for congressional oversight. And when you ask for something like this, you open yourself up to people in Congress deciding that they want to Go into other areas of college sports like hmm, coaching salaries, spending, group licensing, all these other places that are not just NIL. You've had like Cory Booker and others talk a lot about, you know, safety and healthcare and health insurance and all of these other aspects. I I think it does open up a Pandora's box. But to me, it also speaks to the part of this that is the NCAA has lost control over a lot of the areas that it used to have like an ironclad grip on. Yeah, the only reason we're here, the only reason the NCAA is going to Congress to ask for this is because they didn't do anything for the last 10 years since the O'Bannon case and the idea that players could make money off the video game and stuff like that. The NCAA has pushed back on this for years and years and spent tons and tons of money on lawyers to prevent this from happening, at which point the governments, the state and federal governments eventually said, all right, hey, this is getting pretty ridiculous and states realized it would be a benefit to them to pass what they are passing. And you've got both Republicans and Democrats passing various uh, bills uh, on these uh, or, or proposing various bills on these topics. You're, you're, you're hearing things in front of the Supreme court and you've got justices on both sides of the political aisle, finding lots of problems with the, the very basis of the NCAA's uh, amateurism idea. So, 
yeah, this is a mess. The NCAA is in a much, much bigger mess than it needed to be than if it had just let this happen as it naturally was going to as much as 10 years ago. But I wonder what this means then moving forward. Like if, if to, to borrow a famous phrase of our Georgia friends, if the NCAA has lost control of the situation, it has been backed into a corner on transfers. And now there's basically free agency in college sports for all sports, including football, including men's basketball. And they're backed into a corner on name, image, and likeness stuff. And Congress is ultimately, like, even if the NCAA passes its own rule change this summer, like, the ultimate answer to all of this is a federal law. So that's still, like, the way that this is going to be saved and kind of, like, evened out across the board to all 50 states someday. I just wonder what happens next when the NCAA has deferred so much power to other people. And I think some of the reform has come from a lot of people within who wanted to reform, right? Like we saw there were a lot of administrators and coaches pushing for transfer reform. We saw people within the NCAA office, all these people who were approving all the waivers the last couple of years clearly supported the idea of reforming the transfer rules. But I just wonder coming out of it, like how much faith do you have on the NCAA to be proactive about stuff, to find solutions to things? Or are you just going to let Congress continue, for lack of a better word, to meddle in the way that this stuff works? It's really the larger story of the NCAA in general is, I mean, very much not being proactive. I mean, think back to last summer when we didn't know if college football was going to happen and the NCAA could only come up with essentially testing guidelines, no rules, because they don't have that power. All the power was then deferred to the conferences and the divisions. The NCAA literally let each division division decide what it wanted to do. They let each conference decide what they want to do. So there, there, is no, there is no central leadership because there's not supposed to be a central leadership. And then that gums up all the, the gears, and you get to a point where Massive changes all have to happen at once. Transfers happen at once. Name, image, and likeness happens at once because this is all just built up and bottlenecked so much that now Congress is going to jump in on it uh, on everything. You know, states weren't passing laws to make transfers happen. That that was the NCAA and people in people in college sports pushing for that. John Steinbrecher, the MAC commissioner, has been pushing for the transfer uh, thing for a while because of what you said. Because the waivers had been going through or had been so inconsistent. It's just been one thing after the other where they're not being proactive on these topics and it's resulting in a lack of leadership and everybody else making decisions for themselves or asking Congress to make them. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Was the thing that we heard the most 
in Phoenix at the Fiesta Summit, which is usually also where there's a lot of spring meetings for the Big Ten, the Pac-12, Big 12, and some other leagues. This year it was just golfing and a couple of events or whatever, but it was still, we were still there. There's still a lot of administrators and coaches. Was the number one thing you heard, Chris, the same as the number one thing I heard, which was that they couldn't believe Mark Emmer got an extension? The, the, the size and the guffaws when you would bring that <laughs> up, the eye, the eye rolls were uh, incredible. No, n- nobody can understand it. So, so when you see the NCAA extends Mark Emmert as the headline, it's important to understand what that is. What that is is the Board of Governors approving the extension for Mark Emmert unanimously. That is a group of university presidents. That is not the commissioners. That is not the ADs. That is not coaches. They are all as uh, they were all as stunned as you were, you the listener, at, at, at the fact that that happened, and they know how bad it looked. And that's again an example of who exactly is in charge. We don't know. It's not really the people who are the ones involved in it. Yeah, and I think too, they found out the way that we did, which is in a 9 p.m. Eastern yes. time press release, and it's like the fourth subject in the press release, buried under other business. Which isn't how you announce something that you're excited about, which isn't how you say something like, hey, we're really proud we extended this guy through 2025. And I think that's what really bothered people, too, because if you're going to do it, if this group of presidents that makes up the Board of Governors is going to do something that's going to be unpopular like this, you got to own it. And I think that was a problem as well, because we're talking about coming out of this year. Like 2021 was always going to be this really transformative year for college sports because of the transfer rule because of the NIL and this like fundamental shift of allowing athletes to make money while they're in college. And a lot of people who you and I have talked to thought that this made a lot of sense as a time to have a leadership transition. If you weren't proactive on any of the topics, as you said, Chris, like the NCAA is not proactive on anything, very reactive. And if you're annoyed that you got backed into this corner on these issues and that you're waiting for Congress to bail you out, you want different leadership. And I think that that's been one of the issues that has been a problem too when you look at like 22 and 23 and beyond is like, again, how do you lead on any of this when you didn't for so long and then it's the same leadership? I think that's going to be an overall takeaway coming out of this is your favorite coaches and ADs and commissioners who have become household names as we've learned more about how college sports operates. Like they're not happy with the way that the governance model is set up and how this works. And I think you're going to continue to hear a lot of that because it's going to be locked into the same leadership now for, for half a decade. They are as frustrated as you are. The, The ADs and coaches and commissioners, they know how this looks. They know how difficult it is. They are as frustrated as, as, as anybody that they can't do certain things that they want to do that, you know, they should be able to do. Um, but that's how the system is designed. The NCAA is the schools. It's not the NFL. It can't make large decisions uh, on, on behalf of everybody. It's a collection of committees and people from various schools, and people have different priorities, and clearly the presidents had different priorities than uh, pretty much anybody else in college sports. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. Interesting timing to do it now when there was no real need to. Mark Emmert's name had come up for the LSU president job that went to somebody else. Just just another unforced error, which is really the theme, the history of the NCAA. 
Yeah. And, and all of this is happening, again, when you have other shifts in a lot of other areas. Like, we're going to spend a lot of this offseason talking about college football playoff expansion and what that could look like. There's big meetings at the end of June with the commissioners and also the presidents that are involved in the CFP. There's a lot of change happening, and you've seen a lot of retirements, um, big jobs open. Pac-12 commissioner job is still open as of this recording, and it's going to continue to have that overall shift of there's a generational gap in terms of leading and adapting. And you've even seen it with coaches, right? Like the way that they've, you mentioned like recruiting towards NIL. I saw a commitment from a Notre Dame player earlier this week who cited Notre Dame's really well prepared for like the NIL world and they have great resources around it and like essentially saying, hey, they're going to help me build my brand. So I'm committing to this place. That was just the first time I saw that, even though we know that that's being part of the recruiting pitch and everyone's partnered with a lot of these third party companies to help them with NIL. It's just really interesting. I think like everyone's freaking out, understandably, but I do think we will adapt to whatever the new normal is. We just need to know what the rules are, which is what everyone's waiting on. And frustrated by. I think that's where the disconnect is. Like, people would rather... They're not, like, against it anymore. They know it's coming. They would just rather know. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. On a lot of topics, when the people we talked to in Arizona was that it's going to be a hectic couple of years, but they were all pretty confident it would be figured out. Whether it was transfers, whether it was NIL, they were pretty confident that we'll get this figured out over time. It's just going to take... A couple years of, of bumpy roads, which is something that NCAA has typically not been wanting to do. They've not been kind of wanting to figure it out as they go along. But that's kind of going to be the case here with transfers and NIL. And, and it's probably good for everybody in the long run. Let's talk about one thing that isn't really tied to this. It's school specific, but it, it it is sort of like we're getting at these questions about, like, why are you doing certain things? Like, why are you extending Mark Emmert? Why are you you know, giving up all of this control to Congress. The question I have for you, Chris, because you handle coaching changes for us, is why would anyone want to go coach at Kansas? Like, <laughs> this, this is another unanswerable question for me, especially if you are, we're talking about the two finalists for that job, Lance Leopold of Buffalo, who got it, and Jeff Munkin at Army. They both had really good things going. Do you really want the worst Power 5 job that's out there? Like, please explain this to me. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that Kansas you know, has this whole Les Miles thing blow up, loses their coach and their AD in, I don't remember if it was March or April, and they came out of this in a better position than they were before. They came out of this with a better coach. It's kind of wild. And when the Kansas job opened, I assumed that nobody would want the job because of what you said. It's the worst job in the Power Five. It's It's got all sorts of problems, roster problems, no history of winning. But then I was asking around, talking to people, and there was a lot of interest in this job. And the reasoning was pretty simple. One, it's a Power 5 job, and it's hard to get one of those, no matter who you are. And it's going to be a big pay bump for pretty much anybody outside of, you know, a Luke Fickle type. So if you're Jeff Mock and you're Lance Leipold, you've had trouble getting other Power 5 jobs. You couldn't get Illinois or Vanderbilt or stuff like that, jobs that they were in the mix for and didn't land. This is another opportunity to go to Kansas, get a four or five year contract, get a good, uh, get a good payday, and, and give it a shot. You know, it, it's going to take some time there at Kansas. They realize that, but there was a lot more appealing about this job than I figured, and a big part of that is simply it's a bigger stage with a lot more money. 
Okay, so what's realistic then? Like, if you're saying they have patience, they understand what this athletic department is dealing with, new AD, new coach, you're kind of coming out of this Les Miles scandal. What is the timeline? What is ever realistic at a place like Kansas? I feel like we have similar conversations about Rutgers, but I don't know. For some reason, Kansas just feels more dire. They're still not at the 85 scholarship limit. Like, I I just wonder what even is success? Is it just hitting six wins to make a bowl game? Probably, right? Oh, if you're Kansas, absolutely. They haven't had a winning record in more than a decade. If you if you go six and six, you're throwing a party. If you're Kansas, I, I, I think, you know, you think about the situation Matt Rule took over at Baylor, and he got, I think, a seven-year contract when he took over after the whole Art Riles scandal. And within a couple of years, he had built a pretty good team. Now, I'm not saying Lance Leibold's necessarily going to be able to do that, but... With the new AD, uh, Goff from Northwestern, he will have time. He will have at, at least four years to figure this out, um, and, and, and they know that. They just brought in what I think was their best recruiting class in quite a while, although they did lose a pretty good receiver just today to Florida State, uh, a, a grad transfer. The, the biggest question I think was Kansas is where do you fit in the Big 12? You know, Typically, Iowa State is near the bottom of the league, but Matt Campbell's got them at the top of the league. TCU is hovering around 500. Baylor had a rough year last year. Are they going to get back on track with Dave Aranda? Kansas State's always solid. Where do you find those wins if you're Kansas? You're playing nine conference games. Uh, you're playing everybody else in the league. you got to find three non-conference games you can win. Schedule those. Hope you can get three conference wins. I mean, they play Coastal Carolina again this year, and Coastal Carolina is going to be favored to win that game again. So, it's going to take a while, but Lance Leipold's got a really good track record. He's a really, really strong coach. Um, I just hope he's given the proper time to have a fair evaluation. I was just going to say that at least Kansas got us early on the Coastal Carolina train last year because I just remember being really excited that they had a bizarre like 10 p.m. local time kickoff yeah. for that game. I don't even know how that worked. And so I was tweeting a bunch about like Kansas after dark, and instead we just – Fell in love with Coastal Carolina and Grayson McCall, so. It's actually, it's, uh, Coastal will be going for three straight wins over Kansas. They, they won Why are they playing them so much? <laughs> yeah, I don't remember exactly what the contract was, but this one, uh, this one is at Coastal, it looks like. Uh, I think the last two were in Lawrence, I believe. Yeah, so may- maybe it was a two-for-one type of deal, but, uh, yeah, you can credit a lot of what Coastal's done to, uh, to, uh, Kansas, essentially. Was there anything? I mean, that was such a late add to the cycle. Did it surprise you how much or how little late movement there was? I feel like there's always something that happens post the February signing day or right around then. I think Michigan State opened right around that last year. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Does it surprise you anymore when there's spring coaching changes? No, there's always there's always one or two late ones. And I, and I would throw Jeremy Pruitt in that 
list as well this year, which led to Gus Malzahn going to UCF. There's always some weird ones, whether it's Art Bryles, whether it's Jim Trestle, whether it's Todd Monken leaving for uh, an NFL job from Southern Miss. There's always one or two really weird with Bobby Petrino. That was April Fool's Day when that motorcycle crash happened. Every year, there's just always going to be one or two weird ones. Who could have foresaw it was going to be this Les Miles thing? No, but he's clearly they had been people had been keeping it under wraps at LSU. But things just pop up every year. Now, mostly in these situations, when you lose a coach in March, April, or May, you have to promote from within or hire from the outside. That's what Baylor had to do. That's what Ohio State had to do. Again, the fact that Kansas was able to go and grab a coach who has three—I'm sorry, six—division three national championships, two of the last three MAC. East Division titles, they really upgraded their program at a time when uh, you typically can't do that. So Kansas fans got to be feeling pretty good, all things considered, where they ended up. And now they get to go to Myrtle Beach. It's like a win-win. Well, Conway, but but yes, pretty much. Okay. Not exactly I mean, the same as Myrtle Beach, but I know I know they they play that up. It's not far. It's not far. You can go down to Myrtle Beach and play some beautiful golf courses for sure. Well, I mean, I'm just basing this off of. All of the, you know, the scenery and the shots yes. that we saw from the BYU Coastal <laughs> game, which yes. I'm excited that we will have the return game for that at some point. I already cannot wait. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think it's really interesting, especially when when changes do go well. I think you know you could talk about the type of Kansas coach Kansas got. You could argue. I mean, we we have argued on this podcast about whether or not Tennessee so, or UCF got so. the better coach, right? Like, you could you can argue about all of these things, and I think when they're really late changes, it's weird, and it sort of adjusts the way that we think about how a coach is evaluated. Like, I think we think a little bit differently about what Mel Tucker walked into versus someone who took over in December, even even with the pandemic kind of adjusting everyone's timeline in the first place, right? Can, can we, uh, again, can we, can we talk about – the whole Tennessee situation. I think one of the last times I was in this pod, we just I had to explain how crazy this was. Tennessee is investigating itself, fires a coach uh, with cause to get out of a $12 million, $12 million buyout, then is clearly subject to coming in civil penalties, loses much of its recruiting class and transfers. Henry Toad just transferred to Alabama. One of the best players in Tennessee is now in Alabama. Well, it's a good thing something finally went right for them. Yeah, we, 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 Max Olsen and Bruce Fulton did a good list of the top 50 transfers uh, uh, this offseason. There's a lot of Tennessee guys on there. And, and, and then Tennessee pays these buyouts to get Danny White, the AD, pays a buyout to get Josh Heupel, the head coach. They're struggling on the recruiting trail. It's, it remains mind-blowing what Tennessee has done to itself, essentially, because it, couldn't, it either couldn't pay a $12 million buyout to Jeremy Pruitt or couldn't wait another year to do it. So talk about a situation of coaches coming in at a weird time of year. Josh Heupel, uh, that roster has been decimated at Tennessee. They've lost all their best players, met some of them to rivals in the SEC. So good luck to Josh Heupel and company. On that note, we will move over to last calls, which for those who are new to the segment are either something we are very excited about and we want to cheers and we would do at last call at a bar or it's something we're angry about and we need to vent and we need the space to do it. Also, what you would do at last call at a bar. So, Chris, unless you've got one that you're just ready to go with, I can go first. I, I got it. I got it. Okay. I got it. All yours. Uh, it, it, it's, a dub, it's a double shot. 
It's for Sam Houston State and South Dakota State, who will be playing on Sunday in Frisco, Texas, for the FCS National Championship. I will be there. It's a, it's a suburb of Dallas. Sam Houston State, they were down 24-3 and 27-10 to to James Madison. They rattled off four straight touchdowns in like five minutes to take the lead and beat James Madison. They've never lost a home playoff game at that stadium. They still haven't now. Incredible comeback to, to, to advance the title game. And then the other one, South Dakota State beat Delaware in the semi. It's the number one seed, South Dakota State, and the number two seed, Sam Houston State. We've got a football playoff national championship game on Sunday, so make sure you check it out. Like a real playoff? The real playoff. There were 16 teams this year in the tournament. There's typically 24. They shortened it because of the weird spring situation, so don't let anybody tell you it can't be done. Good point. My last call is also a two-parter. One, because you just said the word double shot, which shout out to the Jersey Shore. And Colton Pouncey, who we will make listen to this segment. He is our double shot fam. Um, And my other... Shout out is to our close personal friend and Charlotte football coach, Will Healy, who we spent some time with in Arizona last week. He personally guaranteed an undefeated season for the Charlotte 49ers. So just want to get that. Are we putting this out in, the, are we putting this out in public right now? Um, I just want it to be on the record so that when it happens, we can replay this segment, listen to it. Um, but no, seriously, Will is one of the fun ones. He's a great supporter of the athletic and always is inviting us to come hang out. So I do want to put out in the, put it out into the ethers. I want, I want people to know that Charlotte's going to go undefeated this year in CUSA. Yeah. I I told them if they do, I will write that they uh, can claim a national championship just like I did last year when uh, Cincinnati, San Jose state and um, coastal were all undefeated. So, but what happened after you wrote that? They all lost. Nicole, they all lost after I wrote that. So, uh, do you really want to promise that to coaches? While well, I already, did, I already did. I already did. So, sorry. I, I mean, Charlotte. It's it. I'll say this: it's doable. They played Duke and Illinois in the non-conference, very winnable games, along with uh, Georgia State and Gardner Webb. Charlotte to the playoff. Is that what I'm hearing? It, it it's 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 possible. They get Marshall at home. They don't have to play UAB in the regular season. Who saw Coastal Carolina happening last year, you know? It, yeah, it's, it's I, not impossible. I am, I'm ready for Will Healy to, to stump for a playoff spot. So that is my main takeaway from this podcast. Cheers to Will. We hope this comes true, but we will have a record of the prediction right here in Power Hour. On that note, we will wrap things up for this week. Andy Staples will be back tomorrow with Ari Wasserman. Uh, they will be up to their usual antics the rest of the week. We will see you next Tuesday on Power Hour. I'm Nicole Auerbach. He's Chris Vanini. Thanks for listening.